Lord, we pray that you would uh, speak to our hearts today. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would give us your heart and your wisdom. Lord, we ask you that the word of God would uh, dwell richly within us and you would change us from the inside out. From the inside out, we pray. In Jesus' holy name, amen. We've been uh, looking at the book of Jonah, and today is the last time we will be in Jonah for the foreseeable future. And we've been talking about the God who relentlessly pursues us. It's God who has opened our eyes and God who has come after us. It's so important to understand that the Christian life is one that begins with rebirth, new birth, being made alive unto God. There's no such thing as a born-again Christian. You're, if you're a Christian, you are born again. It's not like you can be an unborn-again Christian. It's a redundancy. So when we talk about what Christianity is, we are talking about when somebody is a true believer, when somebody has had an encounter with God, there has been a genuine change in their life, a movement toward the things of God, an opening of somebody's heart so that the God that they did not understand, the God that was distant and the God that was an enemy, all of a sudden becomes the God who is Lord, the God who is friend, the God who is love. And he pursues us, he chases us, and he moves us to himself. And it's the Word of God that is what is effective. There is no movement toward God without His Word. And so God always uses His Word to bring about and to accomplish His purposes. In other words, in order to hear God, we need to hear God speak to us. And His speaking to us is an act of mercy. The fact that we have Bibles in our hands is a unique mercy to us this morning. The fact that we can open up a, a Bible and hear God speak to us so clearly. These are his words. Everything that is in this Bible is accurate. There's not one contradiction in this text. This is not just the product of a man or men, although it comes through men. Men were moved along by the Holy Spirit as they wrote these things. But ultimately, it's a word from God. It's a living God speaking to us. And what he says he's going to do, he does. And so whenever he is speaking to us, we can know that it's his mercy to us and it's his grace to us that we even hear him. The danger is when God is silent. When God is not speaking, when the heavens are like brass, then there's an issue. Then, then there is a people that are under the judgment of God. But oh, how we must relish the times when we can hear his voice clearly to us and speak to us. This is his true grace and gift to us. Isaiah chapter 55, if you go over to Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 10, says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it 
bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word, here it is, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. So the word of God that goes from his mouth shall not come back to him, as some translations might say, it shall not return unto him void. Or here, it shall not return to him empty. But it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The word of God has a way of gnawing at a man, of gnawing at the heart of a woman or of a child. It's the word of God that brings forth power as it is being used by the Holy Spirit to specifically address the things in our heart that God is dealing with. It's this powerful and effective word. Hebrews tells us it's um, sharper than any two-edged sword. You have these swords that have edges, obviously, on both sides. It's, It's this sharp sword. And so God tells Jonah, he says, listen, I'm going to give you a word, and it's a word of judgment. I want you to go into this city of these heathen people that do not honor me and do not know me. They're a violent people. They're a ruthless people. And if we think that we have become sophisticated to the point today where we are no longer a violent, ruthless people, all we have to do is just look around the city. All we have to do is look around our world and see that with all the advances in technology, it has not made us morally good. It has not made us a good people. In fact, uh, the further we get away from God, the further we get away from His Word, the more ruthless we become. Yesterday when I was at this uh, funeral, I was talking, there was a number of of uh, young people that were there. When I say young, I mean teenage-aged kids. And my sense was is that many of them had not been churched. I don't know that for a fact, but that's how it just came across from my observation. And behind me was this lady who had died at uh, 50-some years old, a very short life. And we were talking about the fact that we only get so many rotations around the sun in this life. Um, so many revolutions around the sun. Some of us get five, some of us ten, some of us ninety-some if we live a long time. But that life is short, and I was looking at them, and I was talking from Ecclesiastes, and we were talking about not forgetting our Creator in the days of our youth. That right now, when somebody is 5, 10, 15 years old, 18, 20, 21 years old, these are the best times to come to the Lord. It's not impossible, but it's interesting as people get older and harder and harder against the things of the Lord, it's harder for them to turn because many people become more and more jaded against the things of God. That you take somebody who's been molded from the beginning, who has heard the word of God, and this is why God says, do not forget, listen, the word of God is a grace to us. Do not forget the word of God. Do not forget the creator, the one who created you. 
in the days of your youth. It's possible to have, listen, we have, we have kids in this service right now. It is possible for kids who are 10 and 11 and 12 years old to have a robust relationship with Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Proverbs that even a child is known by their doings. So we hear the word of God even as children and we can sense his spirit speaking to us. And even as children, we can say to God, yes, Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Your servant is listening. Remember Samuel, the soon to become prophet in his life, God was speaking to him and he kept running to Eli. Eli finally realized, look, I, Eli's saying, I'm, I've not been calling you. And Samuel keeps thinking that Eli was calling him. And Eli's saying, no, no, it's not me. And Eli finally says, oh, I know what's going on. This is the voice of the Lord. So he tells Samuel, he says, next time you go in, he says this, say to God, say to the Lord, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And we thank the Lord that not only does he speak to you, and we can have a robust relationship with God at 12 years old, Uh, 10 years old, 8 years old, the uh, child who had the greatest relationship with God in the history of this world was none other than Jesus Christ. He had an intimate relationship with God from the time he was born. But we thank the Lord that he still comes after us for the rest of our lives. And he saves many people at 30 and 40, and he comes in and he convicts people who've never heard the gospel or who've heard it repeatedly uh, for 50 years, and all of a sudden he comes in and he he breaks in and he speaks with his ever-present, ever-powerful word. And all of a sudden, because salvation is of the Lord and it's the sovereignty of God, he can break in and he can speak to anybody at any time, regardless of their age. That is how powerful and how profound he is. I'll never forget ministering in a nursing home and preaching And afterwards, I went into this room with a man named Joe who was 98 years old. And at the time, I was ministering as an associate pastor. I was much younger uh, than I am now. And the pastor I was serving under was in his 70s. And this man, who was 98, asked me, he said, well, how old is your pastor? And he said, well, he's 70-some years old. And he said, young man, young man. Oh, yes, I guess so. Because everything is very relative. And the longer I preach, I, I really realize, I go, what am I doing? I mean, what do I have to say? Seriously. I mean, I mean the, the longer this goes on, the more I sit to myself and I marvel and I go, this is crazy. And I'm sitting with somebody who is 50 years older than me, who has seen so much more in their life, and I'm sitting here preaching. How absurd is this? This is past week I was visiting with Mrs. Jones. I'm thinking, look at all she has seen and the wisdom of the years that she has. And I'm, what do I say? Hi, <laughs> just here. And uh, so talking to my grandmother yesterday, my only grandparent that is alive still, born in 1922. And she says, how you doing? How's Crystal? How are the kids? And I'm telling her this different stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, I even wrote at one point that she was born the same year that Alexander Graham Bell, the inventor of the telephone, died a long time ago. I mean, she still remembers horses going to the local, you know, she was like farm type things, going to the local, I don't know what they called it, market, 
I don't know. Maybe I need to sit down and talk with somebody. I remember. Let me just tell you another story, okay, while we're at it. Is that okay? I remember as a kid how many times I'd meet people as a child that were born in the 1800s. You don't hear that much anymore. My goodness, 118? Yeah, I don't know many people that age. In fact, I don't know one person that age. But what do you say? I mean, it's easier to say I have something to tell somebody who's a few years younger than me or my kids or something like that. But what do you say? What do you say, Jonah? What do you say? What are you going to preach? You don't have anything to say. Believe me, you have nothing good to say. So God uses the wisdom of God to confound the wise of this world, and he puts Bibles in people's hands, men's hands, and he says, preach my word, because they don't need a message from you anyway. You have nothing to say. And what you say is really not going to be all that helpful, and it's not going to last that long. The things you say and, and who you are as a human being are, can be a disappointment, but if you will preach my word, my word will never fail, God says, because I never fail. There's only, there's only one person who never gets old. There's only one person whose years are without end. There's only one person who has had no beginning and no end. The rest of us all get old. The rest of us have come very late to the party of life when you think about the thousands of years of history. You think about dying. You think about death. You think about living and dying, and all of a sudden you enter into the realm, the same realm. You join all of what the people of all of history have experienced and encountered. You enter into the realm, the same realm. You are reconnected into the same realm of the pharaohs. Amazing. The same realm as all of the presidents and all of the great women of the past who have died, you join them. You join them in death. And after death, you are either connected with God in heaven with all of the people of God, or you are left in hell with the unregenerate, hardened, wicked, unrepentant, unsorrowful, unmoved people. And what a miserable condition that is in the terror of waking up into that. So God comes to Jonah and he says, in fact, Jonah, I want you to speak, and here's what I want you to speak, because I'm going to give you an ancient word. I'm going to give you, Jacob, a word that's older than your grandma. I'm going to give you a word that is more profound than what any person, no matter how old they are, has to say or has to think. I'm going to give you the old paths. I'm going to give you the ancient word. I remember being in a, in, in a teller in a bank, and I got to know this older lady, and we hit it off, and she was very kind to me, and from time to time would bring me different things. But one of the things she brought me was that her, her uh, I don't even know if I still have it. I think she has since passed on. She's died. But she brought me this brown uh, paper bag, and in it was this massive Bible. Massive. Have you ever seen these Bibles? They're like this. You know, sometimes they sit on the front of the altar. They're like these. Can you imagine having like devotions with that thing? They're like this. I'm going to read. I'm going to read my Bible. I'll be right back. I'm going to read. Okay. That's a large Bible. And in that in that Bible were all of these pictures of these uh, people from like from like the 1800s who read this thing. And I'm and I'm thinking to myself. 
Here are people who are, who are long dead, and yet they're reading the exact same words. Not, not one word has changed. We're going to come and we're going to go, and the word of God remains forever. We're like grass. The flowers come and the flowers fall. People come and people go. And Jonah said, what am I going to say? And God says, I've got a word for you. Just speak what I tell you. Now, here's the word. I want you to go in. I want you to say to this huge city, I just want you to preach the word. And all I want you to simply go in there is say, 40 days and judgment is coming. 40 days and this city is going to fall. That's all I want you to preach. In fact, open your Bibles with me to Jonah, please. Verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city. Uh, verse 4 of Jonah 3, going a day's journey, and he called out, here's the message God gives him, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Very simple sermon. Now here's the effect of it. Here's what God says in Isaiah 55. The word of God is going to affect, it's going to accomplish what uh, the Lord has purposed for it. And notice what happens with the people. This can only be God. Listen, this is not a, a big-time eloquent sermon. It's got one point, and it's got one sentence, and all it is is judgment is coming. The city's going to fall. Forty days, this thing is coming down. Now notice what happens. Instead of just going, who's this guy? Who's this guy who's, who possibly has been bleached by the gastric juices of the fish he would have been in? Who's this guy? Notice what happens, verse 5. And the people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. What? This is revival. This is perhaps the world's greatest revival. He comes and he preaches and he says, he's thinking, oh, they're going to they're gonna totally reject this message. Judgment's coming, city of Nineveh, you guys are about to get it. And that's it. I'm going to just say my thing, and I'm going to, I'm going to just take off and leave, and that's, that's going to be it for me. And all of a sudden, people are weeping. What do you mean God's going to judge us? The Word of God is so powerful and so effective. If God wants to purpose it, it can even reach the king. It can reach the people in the highest levels, the highest echelon of the land. Notice verse 6, the Word reached the king of Nineveh. So it's not only reaching... It says the, the greatest of them to the least of them, both poor and rich are being moved by this. Both powerful and unpowerful are being moved by this. Now the king hears the word of God. Can you imagine God using his word in such a profound way as it goes forward and people are listening to it, people are being moved and they're beginning to repent. They're going, we don't want to be judged. That's not what we want. We don't want to go into the darkness. God help us. And uh, according to Joel, they're, they're not just rending their garments. Listen, this is true repentance. And the only way we get to true repentance is when we deal with our sin. When we deal with our sin. Jonah comes and he says, judgment is coming. Why? Why is judgment coming? Just because God's up in heaven going, I don't like the way those Ninevites are. I don't, I don't like those, those people. No, that's not how God is. God is coming against them because of his disdain for their sin. But anytime God brings judgment, listen, behind that judgment and his, um, his message about sin, 
So here is sin, here is judgment, is a plea for repentance. So whenever you're hearing God's voice to you and you're thinking about the judgment of God, oftentimes God is using that message of judgment to warn us, not so that he just says judgment's coming too bad, but so that we hear the message of judgment and we say to ourselves, I don't want that. God, forgive me. It's meant to move us. I remember hearing a, a preacher once and he was talking about why he's a Christian and he was giving a list of, of things that he was um, uh, describing why he was a Christian. And one of the things on his list was he said this, one of the reasons I'm a Christian is he said, I don't want to go to hell. That was one of his reasons on this list. And that stuck in my mind to think about that. Why, 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 is, why is somebody coming after the Lord? Well, they're coming after the Lord because of his love, and they're coming after him because of his person and his kindness. But one of the reasons that we come to the Lord is because we don't want to fall under his, we don't want to fall under his judgment. We don't want to go into the darkness. I just pray that the Lord would use this simple word this morning to instill within our hearts a righteous and holy fear of judgment. That we would hear the words like they're hearing it. That we as a church collectively and those who are here perhaps even visiting would just simply say, you know what? I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be judged. And so God's answer to that, his, his, his reason for giving this to the people of Nineveh was so that they might understand their sin and that they might, in their heart of hearts, turn to the Lord and repent and say, help me. So even the king is now rending his heart. Verse 6, so the word of the Lord, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Can you imagine? Families, whole families, rending their heart before the Lord. Whole families. Whole churches. Andrew Murray prayed for his father before him, prayed for decades for revival. And he began to realize as a pastor, he said, Lord, I need to change. Lord, you need to fill me with your spirit. And would you get a hold of us? Listen, for Sunday night after Sunday night, Prayer went up for revival for 30 years. And finally revival came. And when revival comes, it's the profound work of God in our hearts to where we say, oh God, fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Would you just say that with me? Fill me with your spirit. Fill me with your spirit. Let's say it again. Fill me with your spirit. And we come before the Lord and we just say, Lord, you need, you need to come and in a repentant spirit, say, Lord, do something in me. That's what genuine repentance is. And that's what happens here. Now, this king issues a proclamation. I can't help it. Can you imagine uh, President Trump? What's he doing? Oh, he's been on the floor all morning. He's ripped his tie and dumped ashes on his head. He's just been crying out to God. Mike Pence is with him in there. Incredible. And the Congress, I recently saw a picture of the Congress with some members in Congress in a certain room in the Capitol, in the actual Capitol, and these Congress people were on their knees crying out to the Lord. Can you imagine if that just 
sweeps across our nation, sweeps across our states. Oh, how desperately we need it. But that's what's going on in Nineveh. From the least, it says here, to the greatest of them. They're all being moved by God to cry out to God. Covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Verse 7, and he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, all the leadership. Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. In other words, we're going to fast. We're going to fast. We're going to give up food and uh, specific drinks and even water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Not just pray, not just, oh, Lord, here we are, we're so sorry. No, 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 this is, a, this is being moved by God to cry out to him mightily from the heart, desperately from the heart. That's what he's saying here, to cry out mightily to God. What does that look like? Have somebody cry out mightily to the Lord. Have you ever cried out mightily to the Lord? Just on your own, you just get alone with God and you just say, God, I'm crying out to you from the deepest recesses of my heart. It's mightily crying out to him. Let everyone turn from his evil way. Now, here's the sin. So we know that God is going to bring judgment upon Nineveh. We know that judgment comes as a result of sin. And God always deals with us with specific sin. I remember somebody saying that when the devil comes and speaks to us, and by the way, there's real spiritual warfare. The enemy comes and he just speaks in, in generalizations and condemning thoughts. Oh, you're nobody. You'll never be forgiven. Those are the kind of things that the devil says. Oh, look at this in your life and look at this in your life. And it's just this constant flood of condemnation that comes from the devil. And the Spirit of God, when he comes, he doesn't just give us a message of acceptance. He doesn't just say, listen now, I just accept you where you are, and what you need to do is just learn to forgive yourself. It's not what the Holy Spirit does. And there's all sorts of people running around going, I just need to learn to accept myself. I just need to learn to forgive myself. If I can just come to the place where I do that, then I'll be okay. Listen, you never come to a place where you forgive yourself. You come to a place where you're forgiven by God. And so when the Holy Spirit speaks to us, and when he comes, he comes with what the Bible says is conviction. And he deals with the sin of our heart by putting his godly finger on specific things in our life. And he says, so-and-so, this needs to change. So-and-so, this is going on in your heart and in your life, and this specific thing needs to be repented of and needs to change. And if you do, I will forgive you. There's grace and there's restoration. And so our whole life is filled with that. It's this journey in the Lord where he's constantly changing us and molding us into his image. So when the word of God comes here to the Ninevites, it's not just general sin. Just repent of sin, and everyone's like, okay, we're going to repent of sin. No, no, to be moved to the heart. Somebody has to have the, God speak to them specifically. And it's a specific word. So it's a, it's a word like this. There's a, a pastor preaching, and he says, he, he, he senses God speaking, and he says, listen, there's a man struggling here with pornography. 
And you need to get it right. Specific. Or gossip. You see, he's specific. He comes to us and he says, there's loose tongues. Specific. And when that word of God comes and speaks to us, we say, okay, Lord, you're dealing with me, and all of a sudden there's repentance. So when he comes here to the Assyrians, when he comes here to Nineveh, he has a specific word, and people are specifically convicted and moved about sins. Now notice what it is here. If you go here back here to Jonah chapter 3, verse 8, he says, let them call out mightily to God and let everyone turn from his evil way. And here, here it is. And from the violence that is in his hands. So he's saying this. Look, we're dealing, we're dealing here with violence. Violence. And he's saying the city here, we've been, we've been doing all sorts of violent things. And it's the violent things that he says as a people here, as a city, we need to turn away from our sins. We need to turn away specifically here from the violence and be changed by God and be moved to repentance. So what God is saying is, is this. I can take a violent people and I can change them into a gentle people. That's hope. I can take the, the person who's struggling with this sin. This is, this is the hope of God. And I can, I can change them so that that has been forgiven and, and dealt with and change them and give them hope and make them a new person. In, re in reading this, one of the illustrations that comes immediately to mind is the Apostle Paul. Look with me at uh, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Now, now Paul's uh, name goes from Saul. It's just a language thing. It's not like a brand new name. It's just the... Um, translation of the name from one language to another. There are times when God comes and he gives somebody a brand new name. And so some think, oh, well, he used to be Saul, and then God changed his name. No, it's actually the same name, just, just translated uh, differently. So just as an example, my name's Jacob. In another language, it might be Yaakov or something. I don't, I don't know. I don't really speak any other languages. That's just a pure guess, okay? So... It might be like Yaakov or something like that. But my name hasn't been changed. And that's what's going on here in this text. God is not uh, changing his, his name here. It's just the translation of the name from one language to another. Verse 1 of, of Acts 9. But Saul, uh, still breathing threats. That's violent. Saul, still breathing threats and murder. That's pretty violent. Out killing people or threatening to kill them. We know that he was throwing people in prison. Murder against the disciples of the Lord went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that was a name for Christianity in the early church, were you a part of the way? Remember Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the what? The way. And so that's what they were called oftentimes. They were people who were part, there was a cult here in the United States. And so we kind of want to stay away from that uh, because it can confuse people. But originally it was a good thing. You're a part of the way. So it says here, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
he takes he takes this violent man and he changes him into a man of kindness and a man who writes to us about the fruits of the spirit what a change and so the lord here is telling the ninevites to repent of their violence verse 9 and we're going to move through this real quickly you want to see us do a chapter of a whole chapter in 5 minutes here we go all right Verse 9, who knows that God may return and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented. Some translations say repented. Listen, God is not repenting of any sin here. It's just that the situation has changed. He's saying, look, if you continue to sin, you're going to get judgment in 40 days. If you continue on this path, there's a time coming when judgment is going to fall. But if the situation changes and your heart is moved and you are changed from the inside out, then judgment will not fall. It's like saying to somebody, look, if you continue in your sin, the doctor is giving you five uh, days to live. You have five days here on this earth. And if you continue to live in sin and do not repent, in five days you will be in hell. But you tell that same person, listen, but if you repent of your sin, they say, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't want to go to hell. Lord, help me, forgive me. In five days they go to heaven. So it's the situation that changes, and according to that, the corresponding action from God. So he turns from, they turn from their evil way. God relented of his disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Chapter 4, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, it is not this exactly what I said when I was in yet my own country. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting in disaster. What I knew if I went and preached, you'd forgive them. I didn't want to do that. It's one of the reasons I didn't want to go on this journey. I wanted to sit back and watch judgment fall. That was his heart. And we think, oh, that's ridiculous. That could never happen to any of us. Really? God calls us over to the Nazis. God calls us over to Iran. Judgment's going to fall. We sit back and wait for judgment to fall. And all of a sudden they start weeping and repenting and giving up Allah and saying Allah is the God of a demon. That's profound. And start and start repenting and believing in God, the true God, Yahweh. Awesome. And in his son, Jesus Christ. So he says, I knew you would do this, God. Now he says this. He wants to die again. Verse 3. Now, therefore, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat the east side of the city and made a booth for himself, and he sat under it in the shade till he would see what would become of the city. I'm going to watch, and I'm going to watch judgment fall. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. You ever be out? ever been out in the um, hot sun just beating down? Jonah's so glad, a little, little shade comes up. God appoints a plant for, for him. Verse 7, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant 
so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint, and he asked that he might die again, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. I can't stand what you're doing, God. You've you've brought forgiveness to my enemies. Jesus said, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who say all manner of evil things against you. That's that's God. He's um, he's reasoning with him, and I say this in closing. He's reasoning him with him as a gentle father would. He says, Jonah, do you really want to die? Are you really that mad? Are you really that angry over the fact that I had compassion on these people, the Gentiles who you despise? God, again, verse 9 says, But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow when it came into being in night and perished in a night. He says, Jonah, you're, you're more concerned about the little things. You have more compassion for ridiculous things than the souls of people. You have more compassion for things like plants and money and whatever else it is. You have more compassion for that. But where's your heart for people? And Jonah's sitting there angry. He says, you have, you have all this pity and all this compassion and all this desire for this plant. But how about these thousands of people in, in closing? And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons? There were hundreds of thousands who did not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. The end. So he gives a message of mercy. There was another uh, preacher who preached a message of judgment. And he talked a lot about hell. And he talked a lot about judgment to come. And that was Jesus. But unlike Jonah, he had a heart for people to be saved. In fact, he had such a heart for people to be saved that he said, I'll get on the cross and I'll take their punishment for them. He loved his enemies. And he prayed for those who persecuted him. And he gave his life for the Ninevehs of the world. That's the compassion of Christ. Jonah points us to Jesus. Jesus says, another greater than Jonah's here. And that whole thing about the three days in the fish, really that was all pointing to me because what's going to happen is I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. That whole thing about the fish was really about me and the cross. Me being crucified. Me going into the depths of sin and into the depths of death. Not because I'm a sinner, but because mankind is flawed and sinful. And I will die for the world because I love them. I'll close with this. And I know I've said it, I'll close like maybe six times. Okay. 
If you'd have mercy on me and pity for me this morning, I'd appreciate it. John chapter 3, verse 16, For God what? So loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, should not perish, but have everlasting life. And it's his word that speaks to us. It's his word. Would you stand with me? Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the word of God that uh, speaks to us so powerfully through these prophets. Thank you for your timeless word. Your timeless word. word. The words for all the ages. The indestructible word. The everlasting word. Pierce our hearts, we pray, with a simple verse. Haunt us with holy hauntings. Grip us with the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.